That, that's called ad libbing, and you've met Jason, haven't you? That's risky. I am not a professional, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to uh, Escapes uh, podcast. Uh, I'm Jason Jenner and we are having another discussion this afternoon about uh, the hot topic of remote working, um, specifically um, around HP's RGS uh, and some of the benefits and, and values of that. Uh, I'm joined this afternoon by a good friend and uh, client of ours, Mr. Barry Zubel of LipSync. Barry, are you chief engineer? Are you head of technology? What, what can we call you? Uh, so I'm head of systems for LipSync. Um, head, of, head of systems for LipSync. Yeah. Super. Um, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. And um, can you give us a little bit of an overview about who Lipsync are, what kind of projects you currently work on, uh, just so we get a picture of, of, of really what kind of environment we're talking about. Oh, yeah, sure. For, for those that don't know, Lipsync is a post-production house. So we deal with all sorts of uh, post-production things like VFX. We do grade. We do audio mixes. We do all sorts of, of post-production work, the whole suite, in fact. I've been there about two years now. Uh, and I've taken over all of the, the systems roles and effectively rebuilding their entire network uh, from the ground up for, with security and performance in mind. Okay. And in terms of the type of projects that Lipstick work on, are we talking about specifically film or commercials or is it really a mixture? Uh, it's film and TV shows. Uh, we don't really do commercials. It's, it's, it's film and TV shows. So mainly long form content. Or, you Absolutely. Know. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, um, and in terms of, um, the sort of technology that we see kind of used across the business then what are we what are we talking about in terms of applications and and that kind of thing uh vfx pretty standard it's uh, mainly nuke and maya um with some houdini thrown in for effects uh mm-hmm. we use base lights for color we have flames for online audio is done on dolby mixers that pretty much covers you know the, the main things cool um so Let's wind back a few weeks then. Um, you are <laughs> when when the world was a, a vastly different place. Uh, um, and I remember us having a, a conversation several weeks back about uh, that maybe there might be a need to do some remote working. Um, how, how prescient we were, yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, what? Um, what? Uh, give me a sense of, of of how that was all shaping up in your mind. I mean, at what point do you remember thinking mm, we're, we're going to have to do something here? Actually, quite early on. I have to admit, it was quite early on. So uh, obviously, with what's going on at the moment, there was the the inkling that certain people might have to start working from home. And at that point, I thought it would be sensible to start looking holistically at how we would do it across the entire studio. Um, just putting in a solution for a couple of people is vastly different to putting in a solution for everyone. Sure. Um, and, you know, you can get away with some things if you're only doing it for a few people. But at the end of the day, it made sense because we didn't know how it was going to roll out. So we'd have to look at ways to, to give remote access to everyone as far as is feasibly possible. So obviously, the, we have office uh, workers, you know, people like finance and that still need to get in. That was fairly easy to do with VPN or remote desktop. We already have Teradici. Uh, we use Teradici for our tech ops department to deal with uh, DCP mastering. So there was the option to make that external for them. But the biggest problem for us was our VFX department. Uh, mm-hmm. We had nothing in place. Um, we, you know, VFX historically is a very secure environment. Our internal network is locked down quite heavily. And the thought of being able to give remote access to that is is one that's always given me pause in the past. But here we were, there's a situation where, okay, we're going to have to look at, at doing something. So that's obviously when I, I first spoke to you. 
as we, we were familiar with Teradici to start with, that was kind of the solution I'd had in mind. Um, so having spoken to you, looked at the availability of kit uh, and looked at the, the various requirements, uh, for example, the bandwidth requirements, uh, we just wouldn't be able to cope by putting 60 artists on Teradici. We have a right. couple of gigs of internet bandwidth. We have a couple of half-decent files, but they're rated for VPN for about 350 megabits each. So you're talking an aggregate of about 700 megabits of traffic. So Teradici probably wasn't going to fly. So I had to look for something else. Uh, and that's when I started digging quite deeply into looking at uh, RGS, um, which surprisingly, I'd never heard of. I'd never, I'd never <laughs> seen it before. And I'd never heard of it. And did you have lots of HP workstations already in the business? It, it's Again, it was our VFX floor and we run almost entirely on HP. On, on Z-series boxes, yeah. I mean, it is sort of curious that, that RGS is something that HP have never really made a great deal of about and uh, suddenly there were all these people searching for remote working solutions that had all this capability and didn't really know about it. So I mean, yeah, that that was my first reaction was okay, this looks great. How much is it? And then yeah. I realised that it's it's effectively bundled with the price of the uh, the workstation. Uh, I'm, I'm sure my financial director right now is very happy with that decision. <laughs> well, absolutely, yeah. RGS actually has been rebranded. It's now called Z Central Remote Boost. Correct. Um, yeah. It obviously had a huge financial um, attraction, given that it wasn't something. Well, assuming that the number of licenses that you needed was exactly the same as the number of workstations you already owned. Correct. Yes. And was that the case? Uh, largely, yes. Yeah. Um, so almost every single one of our Fairfax artists was on an HP machine already. Uh, uh -huh. the, there were a couple that weren't, but we had spare HP Z series machines that we could effectively transfer them onto. Um, and so that effectively made it, you know, from point of sale, a cost of zero. Um, now, that's very attractive, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But of course, it's not that attractive if it doesn't work. No, um, I mean, stuff that's free and is rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's still rubbish. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, again, this was fairly early days. So I was uh, having a look at exactly how how good you could get the quality. So for VFX, there are, you know, certainly we break our VFX into largely two departments, 2D, who mainly use Nuke, and 3D, mm -hmm. who mainly use Maya. They have slightly different requirements. Um, in terms of you know things like operating Maya over remote connection is awkward in any way, shape, or form that you do it. Uh, uh -huh. Nuke is a lot simpler. So we were looking at actually different solutions. Um, again, we, we looked at, um, I think it's a product called NX Server, uh, NX right. or FreeNX or whatever variants there are of it. That seemed great for very simple kind of 2D work, but it just did not handle 3D applications at all, which is obviously why we were leaning more towards looking at the uh, HP RGS product at the time. Uh, for the uninitiated, uh, Baz, what's, what's, what is it specifically about the, the 3D applications that's more challenging? So actually, it's, the, it's operating Maya itself. So being able to twist, rotate, transform you know, mm -hmm. a model on screen. When you uh, are using a product like NX Server or even remote desktop on Windows, something like that, that isn't specifically designed to operate those 3D environments, you get a lot of latency. Uh, it's not pixel perfect, so trying to grab hold of a handle of something may miss. 
uh, yeah. re-rendering the screen is is very expensive, so it takes a lot of time. Uh, so all of those things roll together to make it not an optimal solution for something like Maya or, or Houdini, in fact. No, um, and they have a direct, a direct impact on the, the, the artist experience fundamentally. Exactly. And yeah. here we are, you know, we're trying to give our artists as much uh, flexibility to be able to work as possible during the, the current situation. Uh, and, and giving them a substandard tool seemed a little bit like a kind of, you know, a, a false economy, so to speak. Yeah, sure. Um, so I was looking at RGS and obviously I ran some tests internally through some test beds of ours. And I was straight away quite impressed at how good the quality was. Um, obviously, this was internal testing in the office over decent speeds anyway. But the quality of what was actually being sent back was far in excess of anything else. And you could operate Nuke very effectively. You could operate Maya very effectively and Houdini very effectively. So I was testing in the office and you know that it was a day of, of kind of figuring out how it worked, setting it up, figuring out the various security parameters, things like disabling clipboard. You know, we are effectively tunneling into a secure network, so we need to prevent ways to egress data. Uh, so yeah. Once we'd figured out how all of those kind of worked and, and got that set up, we then tested it over the VPN and, again, was pleasantly surprised. Um, VPNs cause problems. You know, there's extra CPU mm -hmm. overhead. There's extra latency involved. Um, so even though we'd done our internal testing, it was, you know, we had to test this through through external VPN connections. And it worked almost as good as if you were in the office. The quality was there. And of course, there's there's dials and sliders you can use to adjust the quality. And in fact, we do get some of our artists to do that. If they're working on a very specific part of the screen that they need to look at and it needs to be high quality, we get them to dial the quality up, work on that, and then dial it back down again so right. that they, they can dynamically do that for, for their requirements at their end. Uh, and I think we, we looked at the, the average kind of stream from an active worker is about five megabits, between five and seven megabits. Now, that's a, a single 2560 by 1440 screen. Uh, okay. We do have some people who are operating pairs or a, a 2560 by 1440 with a smaller secondary monitor over IGS as well. But our, our normal default deployment is a single 2560 by 1440 for remote work. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's about a five to seven megabit stream, which is very easy to deal with. On it for our point of view, you know, we 40 to 60 concurrent streams quite comfortably balanced across two firewalls. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just worked. And what have the artists got um, at the domestic ends then, Barry? Have they got, um, you mentioned some have dual, some have single panels um, displays. What are they using to do the, the decoding part of it at the desktop? So it varies, but it's actually mostly their own equipment. So there have been okay. cases where people have said, you know, we actually asked all of our artists what kind of equipment they had at home, you know, would they feel comfortable using their own equipment? Did they want us to supply any equipment? And for the most part, most of the artists had something that was reasonably recent, you know, three, less than three or four years old, of a decent spec, uh, a decent CPU for, for decode, obviously. Um, and there were a few people that didn't, I think that's the polite way to put it. Didn't. Uh, uh, so actually, we sent them home with um, uh, workstations that we had, and not even um, high-powered graphics workstations. I'm talking the kind of desktops that we normally ship out for our office use. So, you know, uh, four to eight cores, 16 gig of memory, an SSD boot drive, but but and a 
on board or even an NVIDIA graphics card, but nothing special, nothing that was particularly heavy. And they're working fine, uh, which right. again, was, was it, it wasn't a consideration necessarily in advance, but I was quite pleasantly surprised at how well it does actually decode the stream. And so we were talking about, what were the numbers? It was about 60 people in total, was it, for the VFX department? Yeah, it, it, give or take, yeah. I mean, we, we've actually... Yeah. Been, been hiring during uh, the last few weeks as well. We've we've onboarded people entirely remotely uh, using RGS, you know, to, <laughs> to, to operate. Um, but yeah, it's it, it, around about sixty. Yeah. Okay. And so, in terms of the rollout, then what um, you know, what what are the sort of what, what's the over, the time overhead for you or, or members of your engineering team to to kind of roll that out for sixty artists? I mean, how long did it take you? Uh, so it, it was actually quite easy. Um, we were using the 7.7 .7 release of RGS and not the, the new Z Central version. Um, mm -hmm. That was the version I uh, had managed to lay my hands on at short notice. Uh, it's a couple of RPMs to install. So we actually did all of our config via our config management. We used Puppet. Uh, so once our test box was, you know, we were happy with the config, uh, all of the, uh, the clipboarding and the security side of it, uh, we rolled it out with Puppet and it took 30 minutes across the entire estate. Wow, for everybody. Now that yeah, now that's that's obviously the sender side, uh, receiver side. Um, some people we pre-configured. If it was a machine we were sending back with an artist, we pre-configured it. Off you go. Um, and then, uh, if it was their own machine, it was effectively here's a download link. Here are some instructions, uh, and here's obviously the VPN instructions. Um, and so most people, a little bit of hand-holding here and there, but most people were very self-sufficient and managed to get themselves online and onto their workstation very quickly. Fantastic. And, and I mean, in terms of, um, you know, the you mentioned their workstation there, you know, in terms of uh, you know, an artist's re relationship with their own machine that they use habitually. I mean, where is that was that being in terms of what what sort of permissions or authentication structure was that being bound to? Uh, so we have centralized auth on the workstations and the HP remote uh, software uses the same login that they so same login credentials they use on their machine. So it's effectively the passwords that they have set themselves, that they know, follow our um, our security. They have one password to get in via the VPN uh, with a two-factor fob, and then they have uh, obviously the username and password to get on to RGS to get onto their machine itself. Now, the, the VPN side of it, actually, I mean, it works very well, uh, but one of the things I have been considering is looking at a broker because the, the VPN encryption overhead on the firewalls, while light, is still there and our mm -hmm. firewalls you know they're under a lot more load than they normally would be still operating perfectly fine but you know we're still using our internet circuits for data transfers in and out to clients and all sorts so there's an element of you know that there's that overhead on the firewall i'd like to lose if we can so i think the next logical step for us is looking at a broker and and seeing uh if we can use that to one lower the load on the firewalls but also going Saging back to the, uh, the the artist's own machine is abstracting away the idea of a personal machine and just using a pool, because one of the yeah. things we have found is you know artists uh, have this innate ability to break their machines. When, when you're in the office, that's easy. You you wander up and you you know three prong reset or kick it or something. Now when you're remote, and we literally have left all our workstations in place on the floor. If it, if we can't get to it, no one can get to it. So we actually have to send people in and out. Now that's awkward. To, to do that sort of thing and shuffling people between uh, their workstation and a set of you know spares that we have in the corner just in case and then shuffling by maintaining all of that it, it's actually a daily pain for me 
you know, we'd probably spend half an hour a day just going, okay, that machine's down, we'll shuffle this over. And a broker would very much make that a lot simpler. Yeah, broker's just going to marry up an artist to an available workstation resource. and Exactly. The artist doesn't care, right, as long as they've got the right applications and access to their projects and, and, and the same files yeah. they're working on. And, then, and in fact, yeah. we're already using a broker for uh, for the Teradici stuff that we have, and it supports uh, HPRGS as well. So we just need to look at expanding the licenses on that and uh, seeing if that works. Which broker are you currently using? Uh, LeoStream. Oh, you are so using LeoStream. Okay. Yeah, we're using LeoStream. Yeah. In fact, I'm using I use LeoStream to hook myself into the office onto my admin workstation, which is a uh-huh. Linux box also running IGS. So I know the whole end to end works with a bit of tweaking. Um, yeah. So it, and and actually, you know, that it works so well that it, it there's no VPN overhead on the firewall, and it's for us it theoretically it's a matter of getting the license, redirecting some people through the LeoStream external broker, and they have their pool of machines that they can access. Yeah. Okay. Interesting stuff. Um, just to backtrack slightly there, I, I think you kind of answered this, but just for <laughs> clarification, I think you, you talked about the VPN and, and you know, when you were evaluating, you know, RGS or Z Central Remote Boost for the VFX guys, maybe totally for other guys, what, the, the VPN and the firewall seem to be a, a governing factor in all of that. Were, were there any changes to your underlying infrastructure that you had to make in order to to facilitate remote working for for any artist in particular? Uh, So for the VFX side, we had to pop a single port hole in the ACL that allows access to that for obviously the the RGS port. Mm So the so the Teradici side of things was quite complicated. We had to upgrade our broker um, and install a reverse proxy gateway effectively. Um, that, That took a little while. But once it was working, it's working and it's just been absolutely solid ever since. It's been brilliant. So other than those two fairly minor changes, no. I mean, infrastructurally, we, we didn't have to do anything. Yeah, okay, which is, you know, pretty impressive really to think yeah. about the kind of change you've made to the to the structure of people's working and, and really how little how little sort of infrastructure fabric tinkering that's that's required is yeah you know absolutely well, yeah. once we had a route from the VPN that you know would allow the port the RGS traffic to to pass through it it was that easy it just it just worked so can we talk a little bit about security because I I am you know and your how how this works with that and any of your thoughts around that subject because I presume LipSync work on quite a bit of feature content feature film content I would presume that you are governed by TPN MPAA type levels of security with quite a lot of what you do would that would that be correct yes absolutely yeah. um, so the first thing that we found was incredibly important is to stay in touch with your clients mm-hmm. <laughs> um <laughs> Now, that, I'm not going to, you know, that, that isn't to be overstated, actually. We're all working in uh, what we would consider not normal circumstances. And if you start elbowing and tearing your network apart to make people able to work from home uh, and your clients aren't aware, that can cause problems straight away. So, sure. what you, have, you know, you, what, what we did is we, we talked to our clients and we said, you know, we are going to have to provision some sort of remote access. This is how we're proposing to do it. Uh, in fact, part of the the TPN guidelines uh, has a, I think there's a, a paragraph in there for, and I'm air quoting here, emergency remote access, uh, <laughs> which, which you can invoke in an emergency, uh, which is actually- I can confirm Barry did just air quote on the- <laughs> <laughs> uh, But, you know, that that's basically what we did. We, we took the decision that, you know, we were going to invoke 
emergency remote access. Um, and we've set everything up, as I was kind of touching on earlier, so that you can't egress work out of the network. The only thing that, um, that there's, I suppose, a question mark over, uh, and that is the fact that content is being displayed on a remote screen, mm-hmm. and we don't have control of that screen. You know, we somebody could take a photo of that screen or or take a video of that screen, and we don't have direct control. Um, you have control of the workstation driving it. Ab- absolutely, you are uh, not in the room with that screen. Are you? <clears throat> exactly, yeah. and 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 that's that's one I think we've had to take a judgment call on. Really, um, yeah. there's you know there's we employ our artists, we trust our artists. You know, we don't expect any of them to intentionally go and do anything uh, that would breach security. Um, there are obviously there's an element of people using their own machines at home uh, that has has caused some concern. Although because effectively this is a pane of glass into our secured network, that's slightly less of an issue. Plus the fact we use two factor on our credentials uh, to to log into to various things, so there's no easy opportune way for something like a keylogger to to steal those credentials or or get in you know from from, from any other way. Uh, so in terms of security, you know we do we refer to it. It's a pane of glass into the network and. As I said, the the only real limitation that we could see that could be an issue is we don't control that remote workstation. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's an interesting kind of distinction, isn't it? Because have you did anybody? You know, I mean, that would presumably more be more a producer type person that would have that discussion. But you know, where you had to you know be candid and say to a client, well, hey, look, you know, we're we're in control of the workstation here, but it's in a room in someone's, you know, in an artist's domestic location, and you know, we we we're not in the room and we can't we can't see the screen. Did that have to be broached in any way with with clients? It was brought up, absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it had to be, um, you know, for the interest of transparency. Uh, yeah. In I think every single case, the client was incredibly understanding, largely yeah. because the client would like their work completed very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and presumably also they're aware of the fact that there is also no choice. So in, in so, <laughs> those two so, factors, yeah. Yeah, so so those two do combine together to make it quite a compelling argument why yes, you know it, it should be permitted in this. And yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, we we have definitely not relaxed any of the other security work that we do, both on our internal corporate network and our egresses. And so we are keeping a very close eye on traffic in and out, transfers in and out, you know, all sorts of uh, things like that. So it's not we definitely haven't relaxed our security posture. In fact, I'd say it was probably higher than it usually is despite the fact we've got people remote working. So let, let's just talk about uh, a little bit about some of the, maybe the higher um, the higher capability or the higher um, resource using workstations, things like Flame, Baselight, that kind of workflow. Mm-hmm. Um, you've done that in a different way. Uh, so, <laughs> actually, so our Flames are running on RGS. Um, okay but uh, they do not have access to their SDI out at the moment. Uh, so what they're actually doing is they're doing most of their work remotely, and then they are spending either one day a fortnight in kind of finishing up, uh, mm-hmm. or one day, a week, uh, one day a week in finishing up. Uh, there's certain bits they can't, at the moment, do remotely. Um, our base lights, uh, our colorists are in. Uh, there's, there's, at the moment, there's no effective way for them to work remotely. Um, and what are the know, technical it, limitations that, that, that mean that that is the case? Color, 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 and color. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, now I'm no expert in color, and I really wish I was. No, that's that's a lie. <laughs> but but you can't it, you can't know everything, Barry. <laughs> I mean, we, yeah, indeed. Uh, we 
we do have one colorist who has literally picked up a base light and taken it home uh, yeah. and is working on it from home. That I mean, that is working very well. Uh, it's a little bit harder to do with some of the ones that drive our big projectors. That yes, I course, definitely yeah. don't want to unbolt that from the ceiling, let alone let somebody take it home, for no, example. Of course. Yeah, yeah. So, so if we need have. Uh, if we have work that needs to be done on the color side, then uh, our colorists are going in. Uh, audio mixes, um, <laughs> a lot of our audio guys have uh, equipment at home that is almost as good as what we have in the office for the most part. What they're missing out on is the thing like the Atmos mixers and things, which they will have to come in to do final mixes on the Atmos mixers. And one of them that really likes cuddling the desk, um, he, he comes in to work as well. Um, but again, those things, it's because the technology is bolted to the building and there's no easy way to remove it and, you know, or remote onto it as yet. Um, one of the things we have been looking at is um, remote grade review. So yeah. obviously we, we need directors to, to be able to review grades and, and give us the thumbs up and the thumbs down. And without traveling into us at the moment, that's very difficult to do. Uh, and we've been looking at various options on that. Um, I think the one we're currently looking at is the Soho Net Clearview Flex, I think it is. Yeah, yeah which, which is, you know, it's exa exactly for this on SDI. Um, mm -hmm. it, it gives you a 420, I think, um, at the remote end, which is, I mean, not perfect, but certainly good enough. Um, yeah. And, you know, as a stopgap measure, I think that's probably the way we're going to lean. We've looked at a couple of other things. I can't remember what they were offhand. But this thing looks like it's the only thing on the product on the market or the only product on the market that actually does the job we want it to do. So. Yeah, certainly what we're hearing from other studios is that that's that that's been getting a pretty favorable reception. That um that piece of technology that seems to be the way that that part of the remote workflow will go. Um, yes, yeah, yeah, sure. I agree. yeah. Um and I presumably um with I mean this is true I think of you know Remote Boost, Z Central, or um, or Teradici, but you have an eight bit limit, don't you, on either of those protocols? So for for grading a color artist, that's a, obviously a problem. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, so. Now working on on you know expanding that out, but yeah. who knows when that might be done? Who knows when that's going to come? Yeah. Well, actually, with that in mind, then that leads on to an easy next question. I mean, are there things in in the the technology that you wish were there that aren't yet? I mean, I, I mean that being the obvious one, presumably. But are there, is there anything else? Um, that you think oh, it would be really nice if that was included or, or that was available? That's a really good question. Uh, and it's not one I've, I've really thought about. Uh, hmm. Now you've put me on the spot now, Jason. That's not fair. Right, you can think about that. We can, we, we, we can, we can come back to it. We can, uh, this, will be our, this will be our pitch to our friends at, at HP to say, I mean, here we go. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just wondered if there's anything you thought, oh, if only we didn't have to do that or there was a workaround for that or... I mean, um, they, they have recently or, or are about to release the broker if they haven't already. But that yeah. that was definitely missing, I think. Um, yeah. Having to go to a third party for a broker is is a little bit nonsensical in, in some, unless you've already got it and it's integrated into your, your system. But having yeah. a broker themselves yeah. makes a lot of sense, I think. And so I think if, if it was anything, it would have been that probably. Um, mm -hmm. But they've already solved that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, it's actually... As you given, as we've already highlighted, it was a piece of technology buried in people's workstations that most people didn't know they even had. Um, yeah. It's a uh, it's an extraordinarily robust and capable solution, given what we're all facing at the moment. So let's talk a little bit about the wider position on this. Then I'd, I'd be interested in your view on 
where this is all going. So, you know, <laughs> we, we've had this conversation with one or two, um, two, you know, one or two other guests on the on the podcast from other studios. And obviously, here's a situation where uh, you've got everybody working from home using, you know, various technology, you know, he- heavily RGS um, in this particular case. What does that do, do you think, to the structure of the business going forward post post pandemic? Restrictions are easing or lifting. Um, you know, how do Limps, how, what, what do LipSync think about you know how their business looks like on the other side of that, having been through this remote remote working structure? So it's certainly highlighted that remote working is possible in more mm-hmm. circumstances than were originally thought. So uh, originally, you know, the thought of anybody in Fairfax working remotely was was ridiculous, right? N- nobody yeah. would entertain that thought. Well, absolutely yeah. not. They'll have to come in the office. And then the uh, situation like this occurs, which makes people think, well, actually, that really isn't possible. So we have to work remotely. Suddenly, these, you know, these jobs can be done remotely, not necessarily 100% efficient efficiency. I mean, one of the things that, uh, that we've noticed is um, a lot of people are working completely different hours now. Uh, because obviously they're fitting in around either looking after kids or you know all sorts of things that are happening during the day. Um, but uh, they're still working if more, in fact, hours than they probably would have been in the office um, looking at some of some of the information we have. Um, but but they're mm. fitting in around when they want to work rather than having to be in the office from you know ten till six or ten till seven yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, now, I mean that's interesting in many ways. Um, from us, from a from a tech standpoint, it means that it, you know if if we were to look at like permanently remote working, you know you can actually make savings on things like workstations because you can actually almost split shift people because you know that people yeah. are willing to work hours in and out of and around your normal office hours. Yes. So suddenly that opens up effectively twice as many people on on similar hardware in theory, and and also much less cost on premise, of course. Uh, you know, you don't, we don't have to have cleaners in at the moment. <laughs> um, is it, you know, there's there's all sorts of associated facility costs that actually, at the end of the day, if you could pick all the workstations up, rack them, RGS them, you don't need an office suddenly. No, or a, or at least a much smaller one. Yeah, and and I mean yeah. that's that's quite a drastic way to look at it, but mm. that is definitely a way to look at it. Yeah. You know, we, yeah, I've been exploring various, like the the running a facility in AWS. You know, direct connect yourself back to AWS when you work stations in AWS, things like that. That's kind of proven now. It can work. You know, I haven't done it. I don't know anyone that's that's you know jumped in with both feet and done that. There are a couple of facilities in London, I think, that are almost entirely working off of AWS, um, but nobody else is considering it. Yeah, but actually, but actually, if you sit and think about it. You could make quite a compelling case for it. Yeah, I think I think there are lots of changes, and it's quite an interesting answer you've given there. And there's quite a bit to un- unpack in that, really, because yeah. there's there's the there's the there's the impact on content creation studios economically, as you say. You know, you can perhaps use a smaller hardware estate to drive a larger proportion of artists because people mm-hmm. will work in a flexi hour structure. Mm-hmm. Um, there are also some social factors in there, I think, as you've, you've you sort of touched upon children and stuff. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm in this position myself. You know, my wife and I both work. We've got two small children that are currently at home. There is no way, unless one of us decides that we're just going to stop working and, and the other yeah. carries on, there is no way for us both to work without having some kind of time exchange structure. Exactly. Where I do a bit and then I stop and vice versa. And, and obviously, there are obviously, you know, millions of people currently wrestling with that. Um, and it does... 
throw into the mix this whole process of, well, actually, you know, the nine to five or the nine to six kind of structure is sort of entirely farcical, really, under the, under, under the current restrictions that we're all working. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's interesting that you've seen that with your kind of, you know, your activity logs. Yeah, no, we've, we've definitely seen that. I mean, I, I find myself doing it as well. I mean, mm. I, I've never really been a, I turn up at nine and finish at six kind of person. You know, I've always worked out of hours and, you know, working in systems, you have to do stuff out of hours. But I, I find myself, you know, I'll, I'll be working late into the night because there's something that needs doing and I'm sat at home and I've been at home all day. So I haven't, you know, really realized that it's time to go home and you just carry yeah. on going until it's finished. You know, you don't yeah. have to get off your chair and get on the tube and, take an hour to get home and then, you know, cook your dinner and then try to remember where you were. You, you just carry on doing it. So it, it's, it's quite interesting. I was, in fact, I was reading an article, I think this morning that, um, Tatar, the, the big outsource, Indian outsource outfit, yeah. um, they are going to be mandating working from home in the future. They've seen productivity go up. Right. Mandating their entire workforce to work from home. Yeah. Which, which I thought was quite an interesting takeaway, but you know, the, well, hugely, I think, yeah. I mean, I, I had a conversation um, with one of our uh, other um, sort of partners, you know, and a, a large studio with a, with, a, with a very big number of artists um, mm -hmm. who I obviously can't name, but they, you know, they're doing a lot of remote working at the moment and, and said, well, you know, we, we, we might do a bit more of this, actually. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and again, if you'd, if, you'd, if you'd wound back, you know, if you wind back five or six weeks and had said to them, would you put that volume of people working off site? You know, I think they would have said no. And I think um, that's yeah. a polite way to put it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, exactly. They might, might have given a slightly more, uh, more vehement answer, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so it is. It is interesting the way it's um, it's going to change things. I think, um, and and in terms of the, you know, again, just to but maybe elaborate on that point a little bit. You you did sort of dance across this a minute ago, but you you mentioned the client review thing, and obviously looking at. Uh, you were looking at Soho Net, you know, Clearview Flex and stuff. Um, so that that whole part of the workflow where you've got a client review or a client attend component. Um, and if I push that a little bit further and ask about, you know, shot collaboration and, you know, shot management and stuff like that, and maybe things like Shotgun, um, what, what, what has been the impact in that regard um, in terms of the way you're doing things? Uh, well, I mean, we were using Shotgun anyway. Um, yeah. And obviously that has continued to work as before as it's cloud hosted. Um, mm -hmm. We haven't changed our operation, operation of that at all, really. And we use it for our time tracking. We use it for our allocation. And that's that's going on, you know, as it was before. No, no change at all. Um, I can't really think of anything else tools wise that we've had to alter hugely for, for remote access. One of, one of the things I have, um, it, it's an incidental thing I've noticed is um, the younger generation, and I count myself as part of the older generation now, I suppose, the younger generation have taken to this like a fish to water. Right, like okay. They, they have had no problems with the remote working, communicating via, you know, Teams or Zoom or whichever. They've had no problems. Some of, again, I'll include myself in this, the older generation have not taken to it so well. Okay. Um, but I, I just found that was a kind of an interesting incidental to notice um, yeah, you know, yeah. who have grown up with all this technology around them, it, it's second nature to them. It really is. So, you know, telling people, okay, you're working from home, you'll be communicating with Teams, we'll be doing daily Zoom meetings. They go, yeah, that's fine. Let's carry on. Yeah, they're culturally just, you know, used to having an awful lot of communication, even socially, where they're not in the same place as the people they're communicating with. But, um, but yeah, that, that is that is fascinating. Um, okay, well, I think um, I think unless there's I, anything else that um, uh, you want to volunteer? I think we've we've kind of covered everything there. That's been really interesting. Thank you. Um, 
some really interesting insights. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, and you uh, you're, you're most welcome. You're, you're one of your uh, somebody on your LinkedIn profile um, described you as a brain on two legs, which I think is <laughs> which I think is fair, and I think it deserves repeating here. So thank you for your thank you for your contributions. Thank um, you very and, much. Um, and uh, yes, that's that's all from us this afternoon. Thank you for listening. And um, if you want, to, if, if you need any more information about uh, HP Remote Boost Z Central uh, or RGS, as it used to be called, by all means, uh, feel free to contact us uh, uh, and seek the links in the uh, in the page on our website. Thank you very much. Thank you.